Jesus and so forth. So um, we are studying in the book of Genesis uh, about the life of Abraham. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Last week, God called Abraham out of uh, idol worship and uh, doing all sorts of terrible things and called him to come and follow him. And we're going to pick up uh, in the story here. Uh, set it in the promised land and then this happened. So Genesis chapter 12, starting verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life might be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and he said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Let me pray. God, we pray that you would uh, be with us tonight, that you would be near us, that you would uh, give us what we need. Uh, And wherever we're coming from, we pray that you would speak and that you would provide. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, after college, I had a friend that I met in college uh, who was engaged. And he had gone back to his hometown. And when he was back in his hometown, he bumped into uh, his ex-bae, his ex-girlfriend. And um, that's what the kids are saying these days, I, I'm, I'm told. Urban Dictionary told me that. Um, and uh, he... He was talking to me about it, and he, he said it was, uh, he had this strange, this strange thing happen, right? Sees the ex-girlfriend, and he, he described it like getting snagged on a fish hook when you're fishing. He's like, it's like I kind of got snagged on, like there's like a fish hook on my heart, kind of tugging me that way. And it, he was really bothered by it, um, and wanted, you know, needed to talk about it, and you know, eventually uh, he did, actually I say eventually, actually pretty quickly kind of got over it. And the way he got over it was, first, he started examining what that high school relationship was actually like. And sort of remembering, like, you know, it wasn't a great relationship, we, we weren't even that super close, things didn't go well, you know, these other, you know, we stepped on each other's toes at homecoming, you know, I don't know, that things didn't go great. Uh, and, but second, he started thinking about his fiance. And why he wanted to marry her in the first place. Uh, and why this fishhook tug was something he didn't want in his life. And the more he set his attention on the one he was going to marry, the, the more the other things sort of passed away. And this story is coming to uh, the Israelites. Uh, most of the sources tell us that Moses is either the author or primary source for the information in Genesis. And his immediate audience would have been Israelites who had been set free from slavery. If you saw the movie uh, Prince of Egypt... 
or if you've read the book of Exodus, it's a story of an enslaved people who God miraculously sends plagues on the Egyptians and then sets the people free. But soon they get into the desert. They're wandering towards this promised land that God has promised to Abram here in this story. And people are starting to complain. And they're saying, we kind of want to go back. This fish hook is tugging on their heart. You know, our ex-girlfriend had some stuff going on. Like there was food in Egypt. Like, let's go back there. Um, and Moses is telling them this story saying, don't look at your ex-girlfriend. Look at your fiance. It wasn't great back there, and it's better ahead. Look at your God. Look at who he is and what he is like. And so he's going to tell them a story that actually parallels their experience in Egypt in, this, in the life of their father Abraham. It's a true story, uh, but one that is pretty remarkable how God sort of put this together. He's going to show how God is present and how he protects and how he provides for his people. Um, the first thing that we see in the text is that God is present. Uh, you see the presence of God. What's interesting about these ten verses is God's name is only used once. Like he's sort of this invisible character, and then he shows up in verse 17, uh, and then he vanishes again. Um, but in the previous section that we read last week, God had told Abraham, I will be with you, I will bless you, him who dishonors you I will curse, I will make your name great, I will make you a blessing to all nations. He says, I will, I will, I will, I will, five times in three verses. He's promising Abraham that he will be with him, but then we pick up here in verse 10, and a, f- a famine has entered the land. They've run out of food, which uh, incidentally was the reason that the Israelites ended up in Egypt in the first place. Uh, a famine comes to the land, and so he goes down to Egypt, and he's got to try to figure it out. He's thinking, God left me. Um, when I was uh, about 15 years ago, uh, my brother and I both lived in St. Louis. We were going to graduate school, and he's five years older than me, and uh, we went camping. At this point, uh, my wife and I didn't have kids, but my brother had three kids, and we loved them and really got to bond with them in those three years in St. Louis. And we went, we went camping together in a place in Missouri that's along what's called the Big River. Literally, the name of the river is the Big River, um, which is interesting because the river is about the distance from me to that second row of tables right there. It's, like, it's not very big. And it's only up to, like, it was about up to my midsection, like maybe my belly button at, the, at its deepest. We're there camping, and we're splashing around in the big river, and I had my nephew, Joseph, with me. He was five years old at the time, and we were playing this game where I would, like, carry him from one side to the other because it was too tall for him, and he wasn't a super strong swimmer, swimmer, and there was a little bit of a current. And I'm carrying him across the big river, and we're about halfway across, and suddenly he just starts, like, flailing in my arms and screaming out, and just kind of has this, like, panic. And I just kind of grabbed him, and then I turned him around, and he looked at me, and then he just bursted out laughing. And he said, I thought you left. <laughs> like, I'm literally holding him by the armpits. And um, I would, like, mess with him a lot. Like, I'd play pranks on him and stuff. So I think I'd kind of, like, conditioned him to think that I might drown him in a river. Like, that's the kind of person. That's who Uncle Ben is, you know, in his mind. But he just cracked up uh, laughing because he thought that I wasn't there. And that is sort of what Abraham is doing in this passage. He's flailing around and trying to figure out a way to solve this problem for himself, forgetting that God had promised to be with him. And like Joseph in the river, his act of self-protection actually puts himself in more harm's way. Like he's, I'm like, I'm the only thing keeping you from drowning, and you're like flailing in my arms. Um, let me ask you, like, how would, how would your life change if you knew that God was present with you? That as you're going through the chaos of life and you can't even see, like, what's ahead? Man, seniors, you... Spring semester, senior year. (laughs) 
God has not left. You don't, you don't know what's next. Some of you do. You awful people with jobs. Uh, but most of you don't. Um, God is, is with you. But it's great that he's with Abram, but he's not just with him. He's there to protect him. He doesn't, he's not just present, but he's going to provide. Uh, verse 12. Um, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will let you live. So there he is forgetting that God is with him. But this statement that he makes, he's not being paranoid. Like this isn't a crazy idea in that culture for Abraham to be worried about this. Pharaoh absolutely had the power to be like, hey, your wife's pretty beautiful. You're dead now. And she's mine. That's absolutely what could have happened. But God ends up in the end of the story protecting Abraham from that. He protects him from his enemies. First, his enemy outside. The enemy on the outside, Pharaoh. Um, there was a doctor, a physician, uh, about, say about 100 years ago, Dr. Brand, who studied what we call leprosy, commonly called, I can't remember the technical name of the condition. Uh, but he was at a, visiting a leper colony, I believe in Hawaii. Uh, nice place to have a leper colony on the island of Molokai. But he was studying these lepers and uh, seeing kind of what was going on with them and trying to understand what it was. And they began to discover that the condition, some of you probably know this, bio majors or something. Bio majors study that? Um, that with what we often refer to as leprosy, what, what has actually happened is the inability to feel pain. Which you'd think like, man, if you didn't ever feel pain, wouldn't that be awesome? Um, but what was happening is they're living in sort of third world country conditions here on this island is that uh, at night when people were asleep, insects and rodents and other things would come and attack. It's kind of gross, but they would like start eating the people. <laughs> but they wouldn't feel the pain. They wouldn't know. They'd sleep through it. And the next day they'd be like, whoa, look what leprosy did in my hand. Right? And they'd come to the doctor. Um, and they had no defense. And God here, he protects Pharaoh, one, from the famine, but second, from Pharaoh himself. Uh, in this story, it's pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Who are your enemies? I hope that none of you have someone who wants to kill you. Um, if you do, let's get coffee. And we'll go, we'll go to the police together. Um, but but what, is, what, what would be your enemy? What, what is some, something that is you know, trying to kill your reputation? Uh, kill your status? Kill your job potential? Um, or who are you afraid of? Some of you are very afraid of your professors, your faculty. Um, some of you are afraid of other students. Oftentimes, um, people who have been raised in the church, who were raised Christians, are afraid of people who are not Christian. When they get to college, it's like this, oh no, like how can I talk to this person? What if they judge me, etc. There's things that scare us. And, and God is showing Abraham, I'm going to protect you from your enemies. I promised you all these things, and I'm going to fulfill those promises. You don't have to freak out. But more than that, more than protecting him from the enemy on the outside, he protects Abram from the enemy within, uh, the enemy on the inside. Uh, verse 15, when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And skipping to verse 18, after they've kind of found out what's going on here. Pharaoh called Abram and he said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. 
Ancient texts are usually somewhat subtle in sort of telling you what happens. You don't have to read very far between the lines to realize what's happened here. Here's your wife, take her and go. Um, Abraham is his own worst enemy. Uh, in a micro sense, uh, in a small way, this is like, of course, this is patently morally awful what he does. Um, it's this terrible thing. And it, what's interesting in the story is that Pharaoh is shocked. The language in the Hebrew is very strong where it says what? It's like, like what? What did you do? What have you done? Um, which again, to the original audience, like who's Pharaoh? This is a different Pharaoh. It's a previous one, but it's the same kind of figure, right? Oh, he's the one who enslaved us for 400 years and threw our babies in a river. And he's morally appalled by our father. Um, it's, it's amazing. That's the micro. Like, it's obviously just this really horrible thing that he does. But second, uh, in the macro, the big picture, God has just promised Abraham, I'm going to bless the entire world through you. How? Through his offspring. Through his children. I've already mentioned that I was not a biology major, but I'm pretty sure if Abraham wants to have kids, he's going to need a wife, right? And he just hands her over. Um, jeopardizing the fate of the whole world. And God had called him. He said, I'm going to make you a blessing to all people. And here in this story, he's becoming a curse. To Pharaoh and to everyone else. Abraham is his own worst enemy. Um, again, Dr. Brand studying the lepers at the leper colony. He noticed, and this is like in his journals that he kept. Um, there were the injuries that they would get from like rodents and things, but their worst injuries were often self-inflicted. He records watching a man um, roasting potatoes on a coal fire and then reaching into the fire and picking up the potatoes and carrying them over to serve to other people. And then lo and behold, six hours later, he's at the clinic saying, look what leprosy did to me, right? That um, the self-inflicted wounds. Um, do you have a category for thinking that perhaps you are your own worst enemy? So there is an enemy within. In freshman small group a couple weeks ago, we looked at a passage that says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can comprehend it? About our own hearts. Um, if you don't have a category that, like, maybe I'm the problem with me, um, that itself could be what's making you your own worst enemy. That being, that being oblivious to the notion that maybe I am the source of a lot of strife and problems. Not all the problems. Some of you have people in your life that are awful. Um, <laughs> that are way worse than you. Uh, but uh, we are our own worst enemies at, at root. Um, which is interesting because Christians are really not known for being people who think that about ourselves. Like the number one, it's on, maybe not the number one, it's in the top three or four. Anytime there's like sociological surveys of the culture and they're like, here's the reasons why people who are outside of religion reject Christianity. Like Christians being hypocrites, it's like always like one, two, three, somewhere in there. Um, that's what we're known for because we don't handle ourselves as though we don't go around saying, look at the blisters on my hands that I did to myself. Look at what I did to myself. And yet what's amazing in the Bible, in the story of the Bible, is that God chose Abraham to be a blessing to the whole world. Like this dolt. 
this nitwit, this guy that is just like, really? And yet God said, you're mine. And then part of what, as we talk about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, part of what we are saying to each other, uh, to ourselves, and to people around us is, yeah, like God is great. He does all these things. He provides for me, protects me. But God saved me from me. God saved me from me. Um, but then more than that, he, he protects him. But then finally, uh, he, he actually provides for him in this really amazing way. Um, verse 20, when Pharaoh's kicking him out, he says, Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Well, what was all that he had? Verse 16, for Sarah's sake, Pharaoh dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So he's got like a whole staff. (laughs) He's got like the Downton Abbey crew and cattle and all the stuff. And Pharaoh lets him keep that stuff. He sends him with all that he had. But how did he start out at the beginning of the story? Verse 10, there was a famine in the land. They literally could not eat. And he leaves Egypt this Long explanation is, is uh, an, an ancient Near East way of saying he was really, really rich. He got loaded down. And so again, to that original audience, to the Israelites, they would remember, okay, we went into Egypt long ago because there was a famine in the promised land. And then um, our ancestors came to Egypt where they were enslaved for hundreds of years. And then God sent plagues on the Pharaoh and the passage where it says that God afflicted Pharaoh with plagues, and literally it says he plagued Pharaoh with plagues. So like Moses is like ringing a bell. Does this sound familiar, guys? You heard this before? Remember what's going on? You don't have to go back to the way that it was before. And then at the end of the story, if you remember it from Exodus, it says, have you ever heard the phrase, they plundered the Egyptians? That when Pharaoh goes to them and he says, go, get out. The people, the Egyptians come out and they give them gifts. They give them cattle. They give them goods. They send them. They load them down and they say, just get out, good riddance. And then Pharaoh says, take her and go. Echoing what happened in the Exodus. It's incredible. Um, I really appreciated it over the break. I got a lot of text messages from you guys and uh, letters of consolation and sympathy when Alabama lost the national championship. Um, I really appreciated it. It was a really hard night for me. And just like everybody, I felt your love for me. I'm a, if you don't know me, I'm a big Alabama fan. I grew up there, and you can hate me for it, but, you know, it is what it is. And, um, but, but when I was a kid, the first, like, we like win national championships, like, all the time now. But my whole lifetime, we had never won one until I was in middle school. And we won this one, and then we didn't win again until about 10 years ago. But, um... There was this player, my favorite player on that team that won the championship. is a guy named David Palmer. Uh, he went on to play later in the NFL. I can't even remember where. Um, but he wore the number two, and they would say, the deuce is loose, which is really funny. Um, and uh, he, was, uh, he, would, he would return kicks, and he was a wide receiver, but then sometimes they'd put him in run plays, and sometimes they'd put him at quarterback, like way before people did that. Like Now it's like, hey, maybe we should put the fast guy at quarterback. But the, back then, uh, they didn't do that. But what was amazing about watching him play is that he was at his best when stuff sort of went wrong, like when things went awry, when something's called, in sports, you call a busted play, 
when it's not going the way it's supposed to go. And that is when just his speed and his athleticism were just put on display and he would just take off down the field. It was just like that, that moment where you leap out of your chair and you're just like riveted. Like, and what was so cool is like he looked good on the plays that ran the way they were supposed to, but he looked amazing when everything went wrong and he still made it happen. Does that make sense? If the play had not gone wrong, we wouldn't have known just how good he was. And that's just what God does here. Like he takes this train wreck of a play that Abraham has just set up. And he's like, you know what? Like you're an idiot, but I'm still going to save you and your wife. You're not going to die. You're going to live. And you're going to walk out loaded. Because that is what I do. Um, What's your busted play? What's something in your life that's just like, this is not how it's supposed to go? Uh, It could be a small frustration. It could be a small thing. It could be something that you have created or done to yourself. Um, It could be something that has been done to you. It could be an illness or even a death in your family. It could be um, a relationship that just isn't supposed to be the way that it is. And part of what this story is telling us from long, long ago is that God can take these awful situations and out of it he can bring something amazing. He can turn that into something beyond our expectations, beyond our imaginations. He can do the, the, whatever the mess is in your life. You may look back on it in 10 years and be like, thank God that happened. Or this is amazing. I, like, it was awful, but I wouldn't change it now if I could because of how God used it. And ultimately, like, see, he does this for Abraham long ago, but in the big picture, he has done this for us in Jesus. Like, the biggest busted play in the history of the world is the Son of God being crucified. Him being innocent and God himself and him dying, being tortured and put to death. And God uses that thing, that worst possible thing imaginable, to bring us to him, to reconcile himself to the world, to bring about forgiveness so that we can know the very face of God, so that we can actually see his love and through his resurrection live in his life. Um, He's done it for us. Uh, I'll close uh, with this. There's... um, I grew up hearing this story. I can't remember uh, which tribe it was, but there was a, a Native American tribe that had this rite of passage. And when a boy would get to be around 12, 13 years old, uh, the men in the village would take him out into the woods and he would have to spend a night alone. So they'd take him out to this place, get him lost, take off a blindfold, and then just put him down and leave him. And he had to spend the night alone. Which is kind of like, like that would be terrifying now, <laughs> but I mean, you imagine, you know, being that kid and as the sun goes down and it's dark and you kind of, have you ever gone camping? Like, I remember that story of me and my nephew, I can remember on that very camping trip, like, I think it was a raccoon that was trying to get into our tent and I was like, totally freaking out. I was mortified. But you hear these noises and you're like, what is that? Like, a squirrel sounds the same as a bear, right? <laughs> you know, like it's the same as a grizzly or a squirrel, I don't know which. Um, and so he would have to, to tough it out through the night. Um, but then this, in the morning, as the sun's coming up, uh, as he's, you know, just sitting there trying to survive, he would see directly in front of him his dad, who had been standing there all night about 10 yards away in silence, watching him. And then look around and see the rest of the village, all the men 
armed and standing in a circle around him. And the, the reason that they would do that was to instill in this person that, like, you are not alone. The tribe is with you. We are for you. And we've got you. And God does that for us. And some of us are in really difficult things where we can't see, and life is scary, and life is hard. But he is with you, and he is for you. And he's proven it. And so you can trust him. Let me pray, and then we'll sing a little bit more. Lord God, we thank you that you are our God, uh, that we can trust you. Uh, that you have been kind to us and that you have shown yourself to us. Uh, We pray that you would continue to do that and make us people who live as though we needed you in the first place, not self-righteously looking down on others, but that we would be full of kindness and love and grace for others. We pray this in your name. Amen.